0: There's just something magical that happens when you put dressage movements to music. Riding to music in a freestyle can be an educational experience for a horse and rider to get a better feel for rhythm and tempo. But in a quadral setting, it can also be an incredible test of unity, teamwork, and technique. Challenge of the Americas is an event that takes place each year in Wellington, Florida, and showcases just that – as dressage riders from around the world compete in a Grand Prix Musical Quadral Team Challenge to benefit breast cancer research. What goes into producing a Grand Prix freestyle of this caliber? Probably quite a bit more than you might think. Much like the sport of dressage in general, there is a lot of effort that must be put into making a performance appear effortless. I'm one of your hosts, Lindsay Paulson, and in this episode of the Dressage Today podcast, I'm joined by Grand Prix dressage professional and freestyle expert, Ruth Hogan Paulson. It's also worth adding here that despite the fact that Ruth and I share a similar last name, we are unfortunately not related. Though I would love to have her dressage expertise in my family. <laughs> Ruth is the owner of Freestyles from A to C, and she's been creating competitive musical freestyles for decades. She's been involved with the Challenge of the Americas since 2003 as a head coach and choreographer. And we're extra lucky to talk to her today because she actually choreographed and coached the winning freestyle of this year's competition that was performed by Team Winged Foot. Find out how she uses some clever thinking and unexpected tools, like soda cans, to work through freestyle creation and performance, which is what she calls a mental Rubik's Cube. Stay tuned! Stay tuned! Hey there, I'm Jennifer Malachi. And I'm Lindsay Paulson. We're the hosts of the Dressage Today podcast, where you can find us talking about anything and everything dressage-related. Our conversations span the world of dressage, from leading riders to local-level dressage heroes. We're talking training advice, horse care tips, and stories to inspire your own dressage journey. Tune in, then tack up. Hey Ruth, thanks for joining me today. I am, I'm really excited to hear about the challenge of the Americas, especially in our conversation. But um, before we jump into that, let's hear just about your equestrian background. Um, I know you've competed nationally and internationally um, through Grand Prix. You've taught students from intro level to Grand Prix as well. Um, how to, what's your story? And um, who've who been some of your key mentors in the process? Uh, I had my first pony ride when I was
1: five, and before my end of my first pony ride, I was riding around with no hands, and the woman who ultimately became my mom's partner in the farm venture up in Vermont said, you're in big trouble. My mom was never a horse person before me, so we literally started with a little lease pony when I was six or seven years old as a test to see if I could feed and water this pony as a six and seven-year-old in the middle of the winter in Vermont in a two-car garage with a little snow fence. So I passed that test and I got a pony and my mom um, figured she should know something about horses if the kids were going to get involved. So she started to ride and the woman who gave me my first pony ride, her name was Kathy Moulton, who then was a Connemara breeder in Vermont. And they decided that if they were going to support this horse habit, they would start a little farm, which is what they did. And the farm that I still work out of in Vermont is called East Hill Farm and was built in 1975. And it started with 18 stalls with a few school horses and just enough boarders to be able to support the kids' habit and Kathy's breeding program. And now we are quite a large facility with three rings, and an indoor, and 42 stalls. So it kind of grew. I went to college. I had my master's. Uh, I thought I was going to be a vet, but when I went to move to Pennsylvania so I could get my residency for going into vet school, they had very few seats for New England women at that time. You had to be a resident of a vet school state. Uh, I went to be a working student so I could change my residency. So I was working student by day and school at night. And when it came time to decide one way or the other and I had filled out my applications, I had really learned so much and more about nutrition and vet care. And I had an awesome education as a kid in Vermont, but it was my first time of having experience and learning other places. So I said, I think I'm going to give riding a try. And I did a couple more years of working student and more intense dressage training. And many years later, here I am.
0: Did I say that you also had managed Robert Dover's barn?
1: did. I ran Robert's barn and managed and rode for him for two years in the early 90s. Um, some of the first years that I came down to Florida um, took a job out of the Chronicle, you know, it said, take care of my two horses and get room and board for your horse. And I thought, what else do I need? I needed a lot more than that. So I um, I ended up um, grooming for Jane Savoy, who you asked about my mentors. Jane has been a huge mentor to me, also Robert. And then I was fortunate enough to spend almost a year in Germany before and after the Barcelona Olympics, so I was watching and learning until after the Olympics, and then I was able to stay on um, at Herbert Rabine's for another many, many months, um, riding the horses that were for sale and um, learning how to do the young horses. So those were my three biggest mentors would be Robert Dover and Jane Savoy, and Herr Rabine gave me a lot of Really a huge, eye-opening, real experience of dressage
0: in the European world. That's quite the resume of names. Wow, what an incredible experience. So I know another big part of what you do is uh, choreographing chor- chor- <laughs> choreographing freestyles. Um, and you've done that for quite a while now. Um, you have a business called Freestyles from A to C, which I think is a very clever name. <laughs> um, how did you get into that business and how did that evolve?
1: So... My family's always been involved with music. My parents had a bluegrass band, and I played the piano and the flute and the piccolo and the saxophone. Um, So I knew music, and I was passionate about music always. And then, you know, in the 80s, when the freestyles started to come into the picture and they started to have the freestyles in the World Championships and the World Cup, um, boy, that really sparked my interest. Um, and I think it was maybe 96 or 95 that I did my first freestyle. And this is long before, like, computer programming. Um, I had literally a boombox with a dual cassette recorder and a stop-go button. And I made my first freestyle to the Titanic, Um I may have made one before that, but the one that I made that I competed with and I did some international competition with, and then Devon was to the Titanic on a wonderful horse named Aristocrat. And I literally made that freestyle on a dual cassette recorder. And that's what we handed in to the sound booth it was on a cassette, which, you know, you can't even get now. So that's how I got started. Um, and then I, I tweaked that freestyle at a recording studio with um, a woman named Marilyn uh, back in the mid, mid-90s. mid um, And I was fascinated by how to improve my little cassette recorder technique. So I started building my own, and I did a couple of years of my own freestyles, and then for a few students, and then some young riders, and it just kept growing and I have to limit the amount of freestyles that I do because I have a full training business, which I also am passionate about. Um, but I, I really, it's a little bit more of a passionate hobby. I do charge for my freestyles. Um, and they've been everywhere. They've been to the Pan Am games. they have been to the Paralympics. They were at equestrian games. Um, the children's FEI, the pony riders, obviously CODA, um, which is a challenge of the Americas for the breast cancer benefit, uh, which is a quadrille, which is a whole different ball of wax when you start talking about building a freestyle. Um, and, and so I, when I'm in between seasons, like I don't take any freestyle clients until basically this week after CODA is finished. So I get them done in November and then I work all fall and into the winter until CODA on CODA. And then I'll take two or three clients, at this time of year, and then I have my students at home that will be wanting to have some kind of freestyle
0: for their summertime showing. Do I dare ask how many freestyles you put together in a given year? In a given year, I would say
1: maybe eight or ten, um, not more. I don't really know how many like professional choreographers and editors do, but that's what I feel like I have time for, and I like to Specialized with amateurs who have never done a freestyle and teach them about riding to music and how to ride to music and the benefits of riding to music, whether you're doing a freestyle or you're not doing a freestyle. Um, And years ago, I made a program called Riding with Soul, and that is a pre made music selection that is tempoed to the average horse of Walk, Trot, and Canner with my voice over it that helps you learn how to ride with rhythm and how to listen for the beats, how to listen for the transitions, the dynamics of the music. And so I think there's like 14 CDs. And so if you have a lazy horse, you're going to want to get the salsa because that's going to help you pep it up a little bit. If you're a nervous rider or you're timid, there's one called Breathe that really helps you relax on the tone of the music because music has really been shown to One, encourage your horse's behavior. Relaxation, they can hear it as well. Your own mind can only focus on one thing at a time. So if you're like spooking at the tractor or you're worried about the snow coming off the roof, but you're listening to the music instead, your subconscious really helps you stay within that space. Mm -hmm. Um, Also for a horse that needs a little more energy, if you're riding regularly to an upbeat piece of music, you're going to match that. So I like to try and teach people how to ride to music, aside from just building freestyles.
0: I have so many questions about freestyles that I didn't didn't even know that I had. But um, just one kind of quick side question: um, when you talked about when you first made uh, freestyles with the boombox and the cassette tape, um, and now obviously we have you know, all sorts of technology. And I'm just thinking about, you know, garage band and programs like that, uh, which are more simple probably than what you use. But I mean, is it easier these days to make a freestyle than it used to be because of the availability of new technology?
1: I'd say yes and no. I'd say for sure to make the level of freestyle that is expected to be put out there now, the answer is yes, because we have this technology. Um, Back in the day, uh, when you literally didn't have things on the computer to fade in or out or mix, you had to be a, a good editor within the phrasing of the music. But I also think the judges' standards and the the knowledge and the expectation of what the judges have now is much higher. So. We wouldn't be able to produce the kind of music that we're producing now without these tools. And I probably know half about what the program that I have can actually do, but I also know where where my strengths and weaknesses are, so I stay within them. And when I know that I need to do a really super editing job, it probably takes me longer than another technician, but... I hear what I I know what I want to hear and I'll, I can't put it down until I have what I want. Mm-hmm. So once I have had a vision of what I want this freestyle to look like, and that might take weeks, even months to pick out the music and know what story they want to tell and what the strengths of the horse and the weaknesses is that the riders happy, that the owners happy, that the judges will be happy and that I know that I can work within all of that music. Once I have a feeling for what I want it to be, then I'm on a
0: mission. I think about all of the all of the opinions in the dressage world and I think about how just how many people you have to please with something like that. So, wow, that sounds like quite a quite a challenge. Um, speaking of challenges, <laughs> um, I know you've been involved with the Challenge of the Americas, I believe, since 2003. Can you tell us more about just this really special and unique event? Um, it It seems like a lot of fun and kind of a breath of fresh air.
1: So, it really is a breath of fresh air. It's a lot, a lot of work for everybody. The organizer, Mary Ross... Um, started with this vision of of doing a fundraiser for breast cancer. And it started, I think, back um, at the Derby when it was held at Equestrian Estates as like a lunchtime viewing or entertainment with one or two teams. And it just really grew from there. And now, I mean, I really feel like it was standing room only this past Friday night. And I think it's become one of the most fun events because fun for a lot of reasons and also meaningful because, of course, all of us have had somebody that we know who has been affected by breast cancer. My mom had breast cancer when I was in college. So we're talking almost 40 years ago. Um, so really, it, it's so, such an important fundraiser anyway. But the things that are different about this is that dressage is generally an individual sport, um, except for maybe when the nation's cups, you know, when you have a team, but this is dressage riders having to work together. And I have gotten to know so many of my colleagues, uh, both riding professionals or competitors in such a different, wonderful way, because we have to practice and we practice hard, um, my, my team doesn't really start practicing until January because a couple of my riders don't come until February. So I have some fill-ins for my missing links. Um, but, you know, that there are six of us and me and the two girls that help me practice once a week at least from mid-January. And then if depending on how we're doing, what horses are doing what, how the the dynamics of the group and the horses is getting along we did have two practices the week before CODA and then we had a dress rehearsal so you know you're talking for the riders um, they're using their own horses or they're using horses of their clients or friends uh, which is an amazing thing to donate your horse to something like this because it takes time out of your own riding Mm -hmm. so we really were so thankful for the owners the riders, we're all here trying to make a living too, so we're teaching and riding all hours of the day, but you got to pack up and be there on Tuesday at 4.30. It takes an hour, an hour and a half of practice, and um, so that takes time, but the music editing, the theme, trying to pull something together... I think that a lot of the other choreographers do it very differently than I do. I know that a couple of them make a theme and make their music over the summer and they make their pattern and then they show up with their team and they start. I don't do that because I really like to know who my riders are, what my horses are, what's the energy. One year I had six Latin people. So we, of course, really played with a lot of the South American music. That was a lot of fun. I generally have a lot of international riders, so I really want to know who my people are because the music has to affect you, otherwise it's not going to really bring out the best. If you hate the music that you're riding to, you don't sparkle. And that's what it's all about this night, is great audience participation, You know, usually when we're watching dressage, we're all hush hush and we're quiet and we don't know. They clap, they cheer, they yell, they whistle. It's fun. It's very boisterous. Um, And it's, it's a whole different game to work with six professionals in the ring at the same time. And, you know, we're all dressage writers, so we're all pretty picky. We're all pretty detail oriented and all pretty strong willed. So you have six of us and me uh, saying, yeah, but this, and how about this space? No, we should turn here. It's very dynamic. And I love that my riders have a lot of input on what they're doing and how they want to do it, because that's them in the ring at the last, you know, at the last minute of the day, when they go into that competition, they have to be working as a group. And that's really what we accomplished this past week. And I'm very proud to say that we won the challenge this year. Um, It's been a few years since Team Wingfoot has won and I went about my pattern and my theme and my costume a lot different than normal. I wanted to try a different approach. To what kind of pattern and what kind of unity
0: we were going to look for, and I'm happy to say it paid off. I think one of the really amazing things about um, Challenge of the Americas, it, in my like limited experience as an observer, is like the the quality of writing is just so high. Like when you look at you know who who's involved in this, like like you said, I mean it's like Olympian, 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 and and I I just imagine all of those people in the ring at the same time, and that's got to be just qu- quite an interesting collection of people to to work around sure is and you know sometimes
1: they are on their competition horses but mostly not and so you might you you know if you're looking for a horse you're going to be looking for a horse that one can handle the the, the atmosphere of the evening two can do the grand prix movements um at most of the grand prix movements And so you got to also realize that these Olympians, they might be only riding this horse once a week at practice. So they have to get to know these horses. And I know for my case, I had a a horse that had to back out of our team and she had to replace it I know a couple of other teams also had last minute horse problems but that's how professional these riders are is that they can get on these horses sometimes they know them sometimes they don't and they can make it happen and everybody always has the horse's best interest at heart which is why uh, we had one in my team that just wasn't staying comfortable within the group Um, and so nobody wants to make stress for the horse. So we try to make groups of
0: horses that work well together. Okay. Now we're going to take a quick break from the show. So I can tell you about a really cool opportunity we have for our fans. Thanks to VitaFlex, you can enter to win a clinic with U.S. Dressage Olympian, Adrienne Lyle at your barn with your friends and your horses. All you need to do is fill out a short form and submit a short essay on why we should choose you to win. Enter the contest and find the rules at dressagetoday.com slash clinic. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this. Now, back to the show. With this, you know, group of, group of people that's obviously very high performance, very high standards, um, competitive, certainly to an extent, um, is... But I know also the purpose of challenge of the Americas is, is is to have fun and to raise money and and that sort of thing. Do, how competitive do people get within within the group and and about the competition? I in terms of the competition, it's so competitive. I mean, it is supposed to be
1: just a fun exhibition program, and I've kind of encouraged the uh, the organizer to quit the awards because every single team puts in the same amount of time the same amount of sweat and tears uh to to produce something for the audience and for this fundraiser so really everybody is there doing such a good job i don't even think anybody would care if there's a winner or there isn't having said that these are all competitive people so they want to win so you know i work hard to Try and help that dynamic happen. In terms of the competition between the group, I don't really feel once they're working as a team, I do have to off, they don't have a lot of competition amongst themselves, but I do have to remind them. I don't care how big the trot is, stay in line. It's like pretty much all I said the whole last week was, it doesn't matter how many twos, stay in line. I don't care if your PF is creeping, stay in line. It It really, I had to remind them that although they are looking at the correctness of how the horse is being ridden, they're not getting a score on the quality of the gates. So we are getting scored on working as a unit, Working as a team with harmony, the music, the choreography, and the correctness. Uh, Quadrille was made a long time ago, and the use of the quadrille is to train people to work as a unit, because as easy as it looks, it is super, super hard when you have six different people, six different riders, six different size horses to keep spacing. That means one horse is maybe going to be faster than they would normally trot, the next horse might be slower than they normally trot, but that doesn't matter. What matters
0: is how they work as a unit. I'm kind of reflecting on the previous challenge of the Americas and I'm, and I, you know, something that kind of pops into my head is like you, you see a string of warm bloods and then you'll see a Spanish horse or I think Casey Perry Glass wrote a, a Welsh. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. A Welsh cob. And, um and is it challenging to accommodate you know, different, different breeds in that sense, like different stride lengths and that sort of thing. That's
1: absolutely true. Um, and even though you might think that I did the horse that I swapped out was a warm blood for a warm blood, uh, but it changed the whole flow of the ride because the horse that she had had prior was a very big, big strided horse. So she was always having to woe. And so she was accustomed for five weeks being on the sub power side to stay in her spot. But when she changed this horse out, which was not that much smaller, but he needed to go, it was a horse she had to push. So the first practice that we had after we swapped out a horse, I was surprised to see how much different it was with just a change of one horse in terms of the size of the striding. Of course, I have to make the music match the average horse, um, that's in my pack. Um, I will say, like, when I'm doing the tempoing of the music for, let's say, with the one tempi's coming towards the judge, I tempo it on the horse that's in front of the judge. Um, but it does play a, an issue with trying to figure out when you have a 17-hand warm blood and, you know, a, a 16-hand Spanish horse or a 15-hand Welsh cop.
0: But stay in line. That's what we say. <laughs> I know the essence of dressage, right, is that to the outsider, it all looks very easy and harmonious. And then, of course, those of us in the saddle know that it is obviously challenging in a million different ways. I'm thinking about when, you know, us spectators are watching this arena full of Grand Prix horses doing a, a well, would you call it a quadrille if it's that many people? I think they do call it a quadrille, okay. even though it's more than four. Okay. Riding in a quadrille, um type situation. When you're looking at that and, and it looks easy and beautiful and harmonious, are there movements that look really great to the, to the audience that you say,
1: man, that was hard to pull off? Absolutely. Uh And really what we should do at some point is put together a bloopers video because up to the night, including the night of our competition, I started our First movement was what I call a back-to-back fan. So I did a fan with six across the arena. They do a 20-meter half circle, and then the fan reverses direction. So the outside person who's doing the extended trot now has to come to the piaf, and the person who was in piaf has to go to extended trot. That was one movement. The other movement that I have that makes me think of what you said, I called the swoop swoop. And basically, I have six horses cantering in a line, a straight line, across the arena. They turn and do a six-meter volte. everybody at the same, not a whole circle, a six-meter half circle, and go back on the line. And when they get to the track, another six-meter half volte. Mm -hmm. So it just looks like they're cantering in a straight line. I can't tell you how easy that is to be out of line. If one horse turns early, if one horse is late, if the gap between one horse and the other horse from the distance, whether you're looking at it from the back or the front. So yes, those movements look easy if they're correct. If they're not correct, it looks like a mess. Um, and there certainly are movements that uh, look hard and are hard. And there are also movements that look hard that are easier. But again, some of the most Beautiful, I think, pieces are the really technical ones that it's all about the spacing and the timing of the horse. And if we're lucky, um, and you're looking at my six riders cantering down the long side all at once, they're all cantering to the beat of the music, which means they're all on the same beat. And so when you see six front legs coming up in the air at the
0: same time, you can't help but get a goosebump. One of my, um, like all time favorite horse life experience memories. Um, I was in uh Germany at the Hanoverian auctions, and I went to the like evening show the night before the auction started, it was like in October. And they did a, I think it was like a memorial tribute to a rider. Um, but it was, um, I don't know, like 12 Grand Prix riders. And they they wrote to, I know, it was like classical music. It was like "Ode to Joy" or something like that. And I, I like was crying, and, and I was like, why, "Why am I crying? Why is this so beautiful?" But but it, I mean, it really was. It was incredible, and it, it's it is amazing how watching horses and riders, you know, in sync like that is is moving. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about your team for this year, um, about your horses and riders and and what, you know, each of those people were able to bring to the team. Okay, I have a couple that were, have been on my team for years. So
1: Shannon Duak, she's from Canada. She's also here in Loxahatchee. Um, And she has battled breast cancer herself. So that's a really important thing for us is to have her on the team. Um, Suzanne Hamilton, Mm -hmm. uh, Elsa Swartz from Australia. David Marcus was new to our team this year. Um, And Bridget Hay has been on our team a couple of years and she's from New Jersey. And let's see, who am I missing? Oh, Ashley Madison. And Ashley was also a new and fantastic addition to our team this year. Um, so they they all came with really no expectation because they you know the ones who've never done it before they don't know what they're getting into. The others know me, and they know that I don't have anything prepared until we have our first riders meeting, and we talk about what we're gonna do um so we we do that, and we have our wonderful sponsor, who's Kathleen and John Dunnigan, was our team winged foot sponsor, and so they really they take care of the riders and gave them some lovely gifts and we'll have a nice team dinner down the road um but it's a it was a super great group and i have to we we have a group text which also included mary ross who's the organizer and her assistant sue weekly who happens to be one of my students um and so we have eight or nine on this group text and it's hard to get practices. Who's going to be here this week? Is somebody clinicking in Australia or going to DC? Uh, oh, we have a horse not feeling well. Okay, we'll do this. This another day. Uh, who's bringing water? Where are we going to practice? It's a it's a project, you know. Everybody has to get on the same page. Um, so, you know, we really everybody was really involved right up to um, what. What? How, how many inches are the under wraps going to show underneath the red bandages? No kidding. I mean, they're really into making it as best as they can make it. So um, sometimes late, I did have to remind them that I, t- I am not going to answer a text after 10 o'clock. But usually what happened is we would get back from a practice. One of my girls, Christina Lane, who was, uh, was an assistant to me as well as Emily Goddard, they would video for me. I would go home. I would watch it and go, okay, I'm going to need to change the music here. David's got to slow down here. Shannon's too fast here. The gap between Elsa's here. I would um, upload that and do a voiceover. Oh, wow. So I'd do a voiceover with the instructions of who was supposed to do this or that different or super, that looked great, And then tweak the music and then try to do an overlay so they could understand where I want the music transitions to be. So I didn't usually get done that until well into the nighttime. And then I would send that to them the next day. And then it was their job that week to like
0: contemplate what we did the week before. So I know that you had created some freestyle books to kind of help with the learning process and get everyone on the same page, literally.
1: I did, and uh, again, it was sort of out of necessity. But you know, because I do build freestyles, and also this one is big because you have to have six people or more because you really want to have a backup writer in case something goes wrong. To know a little bit about the pattern, about what it looks like, and what the vision might be before you start. So I do an individual book for each person. There are all six horses drawn out in, for each movement. And then whoever that person is, is one color. So they can sort of follow their color through the book of the whole, horse, the whole group as a unit, but they can pick out where they are. And then, of course, add to the mix that I was thankfully able to have, not on purpose, but this is how it worked out. I had two grays, two bays, and two chestnuts. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, but I can't have the two grays not uh, opposite of each other or next to each other. So how am I going to figure this out? Because I want them on the opposite ends of the fan, but I want them together for the one piece I want them opposite ends for the half pass, but I want them together for the two tempies. So the, the way that I figured that out, I, I have a long dining room table, and I made letters with napkins, and I had three different kinds of colored seltzer water. So I had pink was my grays, yellow was my bays, greens with my chestnuts, and I put the name of the rider on each can so let's like Bridget had a gray and Suzanne had a gray and so the pink cans were Bridget and Suzanne because if you just try to do that in your head to know which is left and right and where you want to have your grays at the end of the day and then two chestnuts and two bays so I then made a video for my riders with the girls were in charge of the cans that the cans did the whole program and making sure that my grays, my chestnuts, and my base, and those who can do one tempies have to be in the front of the pack facing the judge. Those maybe not so good can be in the middle. Those who are, can do the piaf need to be visible. Those who cannot do the piaf need to be in the pack. So it is a huge mental Rubik's Cube, basically, mm-hmm. to get everybody in the place where they're going to shine,
0: and the pattern works. As a, an adult amateur rider myself, kind of like tinkering along at the, I don't know, mid-levels, maybe you would say, like it boggles my mind to think about being a single person on a single horse doing a Grand Prix test. So, so to imagine taking that complexity and multiplying it by six is, is unreal to me.
1: So I think what would be really interesting is if people found that fascinating now that you heard me say, I wanted the greys together for this. I want them the opposite of that. I wanted the one to be horses. Now to go back and watch it to see how the horses swapped or changed position within their group, within a movement to end up in the right place, that will really make people appreciate how much time went into that.
0: Let's go back a little bit to the this year's performance and the winning performance. Um, it, it, did I hear that it was Bruce Springsteen? I had originally
1: thought I was going to do, excuse me, do some kind of a tribute to the decade since this is 2020. Mm-hmm. So I started to go back, uh, like in November and December, and I was pulling up the top five or ten pieces of music from each year from 2010 to 2020 and like four different times Bruce Springsteen popped up. So I started thinking about that and you know Bruce Springsteen's music has I mean he's been it was inducted into the Hall of Fame in the 90s. He's been singing inspirational music for being in America and living your dream for a long time. And he has been extremely supportive to the equestrian community. Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of wanted to thank him for that. Mm -hmm. And I thought some of this music was, it's a lot different than what I usually do. Um, But I really was intrigued in trying to make something that incorporated. And I did actually reach out to them. Uh, to see if we could invite them there and thank them. Now they were unable to attend, um, but I was thankful to have communication back from them, um, and I hope that at some point they get to see it because it really, we really are appreciative of his music and also the support he's given to the the equestrian community as a whole, not just dressage, but uh, you know for fundraising for the USET and the FEI for the
0: Olympic teams and things yeah I feel like Bruce Springsteen is just one of those timeless timeless people cool well, it, let's see is there anything that we that we haven't talked about yet that you think we should add? I think that covers the challenge of Americas pretty well
1: um I was really proud when the judge the judges speak a little bit after and I was I was so pleased to hear their appreciation for the team working as a unit and uh, we We did this year, of course, have our little costumes, which was, you know, a a play on Bruce. We had jean on jean with brown boots and cut off a denim jacket and the American flag on the back. And I made um, ear bonnets, well, earless head bonnets for the horses with flags on them. And but we all looked the same. And we have always looked the same, my team. Um, We generally in the past have done... Uh, your traditional shad belly but we've dressed the horses up with a pink breast cancer sash and and we felt it was time to move out of that a little bit of tradition uh so we were the only team that really had costumes but was all the same and uh, I was proud of that I thought it was very classy and the judges were very appreciative of our work as a
0: unit which is really what this was about so thanks if our listeners are interested in learning more about you and your freestyle business, um, where can we send them to learn more about you? I have a website, which is
1: www.ruthhoganpolson.com. And that is P O U L S E N. There's a section in there for freestyles from A to C. Um, there's, uh, also a shop section that does have the freestyle books that you just can use for building patterns. um, and also the Riding with Soul CDs, which can help you learn how to ride to music. They're not, they're not freestyles. They're not made for freestyle. They're made for helping you learn to ride for music
0: and also just enjoying riding with your horse that much more. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and giving me some insight into this uh, super cool and really, really unique project. You're very welcome. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for listening to the Dorsage Today podcast. You can learn more from Dressage Today and read in-depth training articles at dressagetoday.com. Or you can visit our new training video site, Dressage Today On Demand. To learn more, visit ondemand.dressagetoday.com. And for daily dressage training tips and advice, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Happy riding!